The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, December 22nd. I'm Terry Aranga here with my guest, Dr. Dan Burns. Dan has taught English at Southern Methodist University, published in scholarly journals, and best of all, been the prime mover in moving his son, Ben, forward on the road toward recovery. Dan is the author of Saving Ben, A Father's Story of Autism. Dan, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Terry, and, and I appreciate this opportunity. Well, you're quite welcome. We're going to jump forward in Ben's journey a bit and then backtrack. You begin your book describing your initial foray into the literature in 1990. What did it offer you and how did you feel? I felt frightened and alone. And what I found was one book in the Carrollton Public Library by Delicato that described autism. And one of the sentences jumped out at me. Uh, endlessly biting his own hands, screaming like a wounded animal when you approach, endlessly slapping his own face, finger-painting his body with his own feces. This is the autistic child. And I thought, yep, that's Ben. Well, I must share with parents that your book relates similar things that so many of us have observed, the pain and struggles of the child, the bewilderment of the parents. I found your description of all of the chaotic behaviors that Ben practiced to be really touching, the behaviors that make home life and the parents' careers or health darn near impossible to maintain, for example. And it made me feel very frustrated at the obstructionists who say parents of children with autism are going for a designer diagnosis. Uh, It's not a diagnosis I would wish on anybody. Uh, The... uh, when we brought Ben home from the hospital, he screamed all the time. And he looked at people upside down. He had terrible colic. Mom used to, to say, uh, when, she was a, when I was a child, I had a little bit of colic, and the doctor told her, go to, go to the grocery store, go, go to the liquor store, and, and get a bottle of whiskey and bring it home. And she said, you want me to give my son whiskey? And she said, he, the doctor said, no. The whiskey is for you. Give your son some, some phenobarbital. So that, that was the remedy in her day. In my day, uh, when Ben was diagnosed and before he was diagnosed, it was just about as bad. There, there wasn't much. We told the doctors he screams all the time. They said, it's gas. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the pediatricians would say that uh, everything was normal and it was going to be outgrown or or something like that. What scares me, Dan, is that, you know, with so many children these days having these types of symptoms, 
um, it it the doctors could very well say, oh, well, that's usual. But it looks like it wasn't that way when you and I grew up. It looks like they're accepting some sort of a, a new yet pathological normal. It It is a pathological normal, and uh, Ben's doctors simply didn't know what to do to do about it. We were in a Kaiser HMO at the time. His primary care pediatrician was a, a young doctor just out of school, and we would we would take Ben to the emergency room, uh, and uh, the doctors would say, you know, come back the next day. We come back the next day. The doctor would would look at him, disappear into his office. Finally, I I I followed him back into his office because he was he was gone for so long. And he was reading a, a red book, I guess it was the Merck Manual, like he was trying to, to look something up, but, but the answers he was looking for weren't in the book. And eventually his, his pediatrician resigned from practice and, and went back to school because, well, I would have resigned too if I could have, but being a dad, you can't. Yeah, I really appreciate that about your book, how you described how the pediatrician finally up and quit and went back to school. Well, let's backtrack again a little bit. So you had sleeplessness, screeching, gut issues. At first, how did you and your then-wife, Sue, try to handle this? We looked for as much relief from the family as we could get, and uh, we, gave, we gave Ben uh, stomach medications. I would, I, would put him in the, I would put him in a baby seat and put it on the washing machine and put it on the spin cycle because motion calmed men. And I would put him in in the baby carriage, and I would run it over the sidewalks. I'd look for for bridges with big planks in them, and and sidewalks with cracks because the the, the jumping would would calm him. I bought a a baby pouch, the kind that you wear, and I, and I put him in that, and I I would swing him in it, and I would sit on the swing myself and go as high as I could go, and that that would calm. The crying temporarily, and sometimes we get a, a big burp and or or projectile vomit after that. Uh, mm-hmm. This this went on for months. Mm-hmm. And so many parents go through this. I, a grandmother described to me how she would drive, you know, her grandson on the highway at night for hours, no miles. In addition to the gut issues, Dan, how was the rest of Ben's health? Well. It deteriorated. He had failure to thrive. We tried him on different formulas. Uh, after we finally got the gut issue stabilized, the ear infection started. And this is this is when we had so many trips to the emergency room. Ben screaming. Uh, we'd, we'd come out with a prescription for amoxicillin. The refrigerator filled up with with amoxicillin because you could only you could only get so much of it down him. He would he would spit the rest up or throw it up. Uh, so we were we were on a schedule of uh, ten ten days on antibiotics, a few days off, maybe if we we're lucky, a week or two, then another round of ear infections and antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And you documented that Ben had 173 medical events between one year old and four years old. That's right. Many of those were visits to the emergency room or follow up visits to his pediatrician. So he had ear infections, and he was given antibiotics, and I can't help but think that the antibiotics probably gave him yeast. Thrush, was that documented? Yes, that's documented. We'd never heard of systemic yeast infections. 
but that's what he had, and it it took a uh, it took a Dan doctor to find that. But he 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 was probably about four or five years old before we even began treating his yeast infections. And of course, by that time, so much damage had been done to his his gut that 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 was another issue. I it. It would only be fair of me to mention at this point that something else that you documented about Ben's early history was that he had a large head, and I wonder what where you think that weighs in this vis-a-vis other medical events that happened to him. I, I wish I knew. Nowadays they're saying that a large head can be a, a, a red flag for autism, but in those days nobody knew. When when Ben was born, I, I was there, and first thing they said was, "Oh, big head," and they they wrapped him up, they laid him on a cart, they started to take him out of the delivery room, and he was he was screaming. I mean, we're talking about a newborn infant screaming, wouldn't stop screaming. It was shrieking, and I, I said, "There's something wrong. Maybe there's a pen sticking him." And, and they said, "No, it's just uh, it's just a new baby, you know, another baby. It's not our problem." And off he went. But I, I knew from the very first moment there was there was something different about Ben and, and something not right. But as we'll hear from other things that you describe in your book, there were certainly medical, quote-unquote, interventions and events that didn't help matters. I'm curious, and this is something I don't remember reading in your book, um, Dan, did, did Ben get any sort of um, shot on the day he was born? I know my son did. You know, I've looked at the early medical records. The 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 only thing I can find are two month shots, mm-hmm. uh, but our documentation is not complete, so I don't know. Relying on memory, going back that far, Sue and I have scratched our heads over it, and we we just we can't answer that question. We trusted the hospital and thought that whatever they did must be the right thing to do, so we weren't keeping records and and we weren't making notes. Yeah, I used to have that same kind of trust, too. Well, so Ben had 173 medical events between one and four, but were you and Sue helping Ben meet his milestones? Yes. Ben, ben is, our, is our third child. So we were looking forward joyfully with great anticipation to, to these milestones and following them in the book. But Ben needed help at every step. Now, I know... It's normal for parents to encourage their kids to crawl and walk, but Ben needed to be taught everything, how to how to put his hand on the blanket and pull it up if he were cold, how to roll over. Uh, still, with, with our help, he was able to meet most of his developmental milestones until he was a year and a half or two years old. What were some other signs and symptoms that were concerning to you and to like climbing or shrieking, you'd mentioned pica or odd diapers. He he chewed on his own wet diapers, which smelled of ammonia. He would crawl around the house looking for stashes of pennies and or nickels, which he'd put in his mouth. Uh, yeah, he 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 ate feces from his diaper or whatever was in it. He he uh, as soon as he was able to to reach the light switches. He just flicked the lights off and on over and over again. Mm-hmm. He collected long-stemmed objects and uh, knives and forks. He'd run around the house with them, shrieking like a kamikaze pilot. He'd do this. He'd do this day and night. And then, 
Sue and I would go to bed exhausted and fall asleep, and, and we'd wake up and find Ben curled up under the stairs with his, his stash of, of knives or long-stem plants. Right. You mentioned how he, how he would always outlast you and Sue into the night, many, many sleepless nights. So we will be right back and pick up with this on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Dan Burns, author of Saving Ben, A Father's Story of Autism. And, Dan, before the break, you were describing how Ben would run through the house with um, knives, forks, etc., shrieking like a kamikaze pilot. Um, but when did you notice problems with sounds? The, the first time it really caught my attention was when we were in Kmart. I don't know if you remember the old Kmart blue light specials. But a voice would come down from the ceiling saying, Attention shoppers, Kmart special on aisle five. Ben screamed and ran for the exit. And I thought, this just isn't normal. Because he didn't seem especially sensitive to sounds when you, when you called his name or, or played music that he liked. Uh, I remember another time I was trying to make a, a record of his, of his, uh, screaming. And I, I recorded a little bit of it, and I played it back, and he had the same reaction, this just terror and, and, and uh, holding his ears and screaming. So years later, we were told, well, that's hyperacusis. It's hypersensitive hearing. But at the time, the doctors thought that he might be deaf. So we had hearing tests done, brainstem tests done, normal. They told mm-hmm. us his hearing was normal. Did Ben have more language and skills and attention span at some points in infancy, but then lose these? It seemed like there was a roller coaster going on. Yes, there was a roller coaster. He had enough words that we could kind of think his development, language development, was normal. But he would say a word, and it would be the last time we'd hear it. He'd say "doggy," and we'd think, "Oh, great! He knows doggy. Good talking, Ben. Good doggy." 
and, and he'd toddle off, and that would be the last time we'd hear doggy. And the next day, it, it might be juice. But he'd say it once, and it was as if he satisfied his need to say that, and uh, we'd never hear it again. So uh, we, you know, language went on like that until probably about age four when he had his, his four-year vaccines. Now, by that point, I was keeping a diary because I knew this was really strange. So I was able to document the, uh, the sequence of events that led up to his loss of language. All right. Let's, let's hold off on that a little bit and describe a little bit more of what was happening up till that point because there'll get to be a point where he makes some progress before that and uh, I don't want to miss out on, on those things. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. You described very, in a very poignant way. You're not even being able to move from your office chair to use the restroom while you were watching Ben. Ben was the motion police. Sue had, Sue had gone back to work, so I was Ben's primary caregiver during the day, and I was running a business out of my home. It was a software business, basically a sales business. <clears throat> so I, I, would, I would bring the computer downstairs. Ben would would sit in his little seat watching Wheel of Fortune and watching me out of the corner of my eye. I would be duplicating computer disks, and as long as I didn't move anything but my hand, everything was fine. But if I got up out of my chair to go get a cup of coffee or, or go to the bathroom, he'd start screaming. Uh, it, it, it got worse and worse until... Uh, one day the, the, the phone rang. I was expecting an important call from a, a customer. It could be a big sale. I knew if I answered the phone, there would be a screaming child in the background. Not a very professional environment for, for sales. And I knew at that point that I, I'd, reached a, I'd reached a breaking point. I, I, I didn't answer the phone. I went in the bathroom. I shoved my, my fist through the, the door. Uh, and broke the wood and hurt my hand, and I was I was shouting, I can't do both, I can't do both, I can't raise a child and, and run a business. Uh, I I tried earlier kicking holes in the wall, which felt good. You can kick a hole in the sheetrock if you don't hit a stud, but that was my next move. I did kick the wall. I did hit a stud. It broke my toe. So at that point, I loaded Screaming Ben in the car, and, I, and, and we drove out to Grapevine Lake to the cliff and just sat there, and I was thinking, you know, I could just drive in. But you didn't get, give up, um, and you, you pressed forward for Ben. Tell us about your first attempts with the non-public schools and the types of feedback you received from them. Well... We were delighted at any opportunity to get to get Ben out of the house, so we tried getting him in in daycare, and, and he would last a week or two. The, the The problem was nap time. All the other kids would take their naps. Ben would start screaming, and then the other kids would would just go off like car alarms. So, uh, it, you know, the school called us. They said, "I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Burns, we we can't keep your son." Uh, we, we, we took him to a church daycare, 
they raised the white flag within a week. There's there's nothing we can't you know we can't help you. Uh, we we finally found a special school that that dealt with problem children. It was uh, a, a a drama school where they they work with with the kids on drama. And we enrolled Ben and Nat with high hopes, but at the Halloween party when we brought him and he saw his teacher dressed up as a witch, he ran screaming out the door, and the school wrote him up, and that was pretty much the end of that experience. When did you realize that Ben had autism? Had anybody told you to this point? No one had. No one had mentioned the word. Now. I had done a scholarly paper on a rock opera called Tommy, which was a, a popular opera by the Who in the 1970s, about an autistic boy who was uh, the pinball wizard. He was a deaf, dumb, and blind kid, but he, he could sense vibrations. And it was very much like Ben, because it was as if Ben were going deaf, dumb, and blind, and the only sense that remained to him intact was touch. It was really the only way to, to communicate with Ben. So I thought, my gosh, this is, Ben is like Tommy. Uh, that was my first intuition. So you went to a pediatric neurologist. Did that help? No, it, it did not. Uh, her, her words still ring in my ears. It was, your son has autism. There is no medical treatment. Take him home, love him, and save your money for his institutionalization when he turns 21. Well, thankfully, you didn't accept that. And much as some mainstream doctors will vilify parents for doing so, you were wise to have consulted with the Internet. What did you find? Eventually, we found Dr. Remlin's name. At, in uh, San Diego at what is now the Autism Research Institute. It wasn't called that at the time, so it, it took us a few weeks to find it. But uh, I began corresponding with Dr. Remlin, and he would send me handwritten notes saying, have you tried vitamin B6? Have you tried ABA therapy? And he'd send, he'd send articles on uh, to me. So that, that got us on to a very early version of the, the biomedical path and the ABA path. Mm-hmm. And you found The Sound of a Miracle? And Let Me Hear Your Voice? Yes. yes. Uh, Let Me Hear Your Voice was really an eye-opener for me because Catherine Maurice had gone through the steps that we had gone through, and she had recovered her children. You know, I still don't understand why why this is news, but when I tell people that even back in 1990, Dr. Lovas at UCLA was recovering 48% of the kids in his autism control group using what we now call applied behavioral analysis. Their eyes open wide and, and they say, you mean you, you can fix these kids? You can cure? Yes, Lovas was doing that in, in 1987, the year he was born, the year Ben was born. But for some reason, the news didn't get out. Yeah, you're right. It's maddening. Why is it still yeah. news? Why aren't children and families given the opportunity of knowing this uh, from the very beginning of the journey? So you found the work of Dr. Bernie Rimland, and was this the time that you started, Ben, on nutritional supplementation? And I think you also used phototherapy 
from another source, knowledge yes. from another source. Yes, and uh, doc, Dr. Rimlin was recommending vitamin B6, which we started giving Ben in, in massive doses, and uh, DMG, which in those days was um, a leading-edge treatment. Uh, ben improved on that. We had also found some articles talking about phototherapy or light therapy, helping Ben, uh, helping autistic kids because it supposedly stimulates the, the, the uh, pineal gland. So we tried that too. And for a summer, Ben improved. His attention, his attention span improved. His, his gait improved. He, he stopped toe walking. He began to imitate a little bit. I started potty training him using some discrete trial techniques, ABA techniques, and, uh, and had some pretty good success with that. So uh, by, by the summer of that year, and uh, coming on in toward the fall, Ben was doing very well, and we were encouraged. All right. So you saw improvements in things like language and motor and social skills. He was more observant. He had imitation skills. He became calmer, did puzzles, um, was doing some potty training, had some speech and conversation. And then he turned four years old. Yes, he turned four years old, and he, he, his birthday is in August. We took him in for his his four-year vac- vaccinations. Uh, at about the same time, we, we made some other changes in his routine. We discontinued the B6 and um, and uh, intensified the phototherapy. We were trying to dis- figure out what it is that's helping him, and Dr. Remlin had said, well, you've got to, do one thing at a time and keep records. So we thought, well, we'll we'll take the B6 out, do the phototherapy. Uh, he got the shots about the same time. W- within a month, he had lost all of his gains. His, was his he well was, when he got the shots? No, he was not well. He was sick. Now, you'd know today, you know, don't give a sick kid vaccines. Uh, but at the time... And I remember discussing this with a pediatrician. It was a it was a new pediatrician, and um, and Ben was sick. He was he was crying. He was screeching, and and um, we and we we said, you know, should we delay these shots? And we discussed it with the doctor, and the consensus was, no. Let's you know, we're going to go ahead with this. Uh, we're going to refer him to some specialists. And even as he was getting the, the vaccinations, we were talking about. Uh, a brighter future for Ben. I, so, I hate that. <laughs> but, so you know, back then, who knew? Well, did the pediatrician note that Ben was showing some good signs and then gave him the shots and then there was the regression? Yes, and, and I don't want to blame the, the pediatrician. Back then, uh, vaccines like antibiotics were just considered... I mean, good stuff, and nobody warned us of the dangers of either. I, I hope that, that the pediatrician knows better now. We certainly do. Okay, and more on this when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enza Medica. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart 
the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Dan Burns, author of Saving Ben, A Father's Story of Autism. And uh, Dan, before the break, you were sharing with us how Ben had been doing better. And then at four years old, he had a cold. He received three vaccines uh, in in one day, and I believe um, that included mercury-containing vaccines and the MMR. And a month later, he received another vaccine, and then he had a regression did you had told us that supplements B6 and DMG had done well for him before that point in phototherapy? How did they work after that point? We never got we never got back to the point that we had reached. We tried intensifying everything, and we we finally disregarded Dr. Emlin's suggestion and and gave him the the B6, the DMG, the phototherapy all at once, and we we couldn't get him back. I mean, he lost. What did his, Ben start to do? I'm sorry. Uh, Self-injurious behavior, punching his head, biting his hands. The the hyperactivity just got out of control. He couldn't sit still. Uh, he lost his eye contact again. Uh, anxiety, screeching, tantruming, visual stimming, spaced out, withdrawn, isolated. And then he started to vanish. Yeah. 
I tell the story in the book of, of thinking, you know, I want to play with my son. I, I bought him a ball for his birthday, and and, and I wanted to uh, to play catch with him and I'd set him on the stairs and toss him the ball, and he would make the slightest little movement of his finger that he could to knock the ball off the step, and it would roll down. And that that was all he would do. Well, it's it's hard to play with a child like that, and one of the things that he had liked to do was to string beads. I taught him how to, to, to string colored beads on a, on a pipe cleaner. So I thought, I've got to pay attention to my son. So I, I sat him down with his beads, and I took my watch out, and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch him for a minute. And I gave, him, I gave him the beads, and I was thinking about his favorite shows, Wheel of Fortune. I was thinking about the incident on the stairs. And, and then I realized I wasn't watching him. I wasn't paying attention to him. So I did attend to him again, and, and what was he doing? He was doing nothing. He was just sitting there catatonic with the, the beads and the pipe cleaner. So I had a busy life, and Sue had a busy life. And I realized at that time that Ben was just vanishing from our lives. When he wasn't screaming or tantruming or demanding attention, he just wasn't there. So in a figurative sense, because of his inactivity at that point, at some, uh, in some instances, he was vanishing. But in a very real sense, too, he would he would run away, run out of the house, and, and put you in a hypervigilant state that many parents live under. It was after Halloween when we'd taken him trick-or-treating. Unfortunately, he he learned the wrong lesson because after that, if we take him for a walk, he'd run up to a house without knocking on the door. He'd just open the door and run in, and he'd either look for the refrigerator. If he could find it, he would open it. Imagine being the neighbor, and, and here comes this kid running in your house, followed by a father who's trying to tackle him. Uh, so so that happened. Uh, then then he started leaving the house on his own. So we, we had to lock the doors and the windows. Uh, at one point, he... He made his way out of a second floor window, oh, and yeah, uh, fell on the ground. But he was, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was as if he were he were trying to escape. You know, we love our children. We do everything we can for them, and they they have these challenges that just break our hearts because we love them and we want them to be safe and healthy. And then at the same time, we always have to worry that people out there are judging us because something goes awry. Well, of, of course they are. When I'd take Ben to the restaurant, I had, I'd have to keep him right in front of me because he would run over to the customer's table and, and grab the, the, the rolls or the bread or the pasta and try to stuff it into his mouth. I remember one time, we were at an Italian restaurant, and I had to take my eyes off of him to to um, get the forks. And by the time I turned around, he was at a customer's table gra- grabbing at the food. And the customer said, you know, you need to get a leash for this kid. Well, that hurt. But, you know, he was yeah. right. And eventually I did get a leash for him because crossing the street with Ben, unless you kept your hand on him, he could... 
he could run out in the traffic, and we we crossed some busy streets. So um, I remember one time I was crossing the street with with Ben uh, on a leash, and a car screeched to a stop in the middle and said, "That's not a dog. That's a little boy." And those kind of things are funny when you think back on them, but at the time they really hurt. Yes, they certainly do. And, you know, I think the reaction of public agencies is probably more um, pronounced if things happen, if if, if atrocities are, are happen to to dogs, and I'm not saying they should, but then what then if it's happened to all these children who are part of the autism epidemic? Why isn't there outrage and outcry among the government agencies um, that brings some sort of effective uh, treatment for all the affected children? Well, that's that's the big question. It's the, the, well, the fact of the matter is it's up to the parents. I mean, that's just the fact. The pediatricians are, are years behind. Uh, if you know, if you have an autistic child, you, you've already encountered this. We're, we're faced with we're faced with helpers that, that that don't or can't help, caregivers who don't care, pediatricians and doctors, some of whom are helpful and, and more of whom want to be, but too many of whom are, are simply tied up in their their own egos and incomes and, and have have nothing to offer. So, yes, it's very frustrating. And, no, I don't know why it's not a national emergency. I don't know why the the therapies that we know help so many of these kids aren't being taught to the people who who, who could help the kids. Yeah. I'm going to fast forward a little bit in the interest of time, and um, I encourage listeners to obtain a copy of your book, uh, where can they do that, by the way, website? or You can visit my website at savingbenbook.com or you can go directly to the publisher, which is University of North Texas Press. Uh, it's under the uh, Texas A&M Consortium, Press Consortium. Or you can order the book from Amazon online. I've got some great reviews. Or you can get it in regular bookstores, Barnes & Noble, for example. Okay. Yes, and as I mentioned earlier, there is so much in your book that so many parents have gone through and can relate to. So you tried um, Ritalin, and, and that only made it more hyper. Um, you and Sue tried a psychiatric hospital and a clonidine patch, which seemed helpful uh, at the time. And I want to fast forward to... The fact that you stepped up the discrete trial teaching and the low VAS, and that th- that was very helpful. Um, how do you, how did this work for potty training and other progress? Well, it was it was like a slow motion miracle. Ben had been partially potty trained. He regressed after the the four year vaccines and the other events at that time. Uh, and our attempts to to retrain him were dismal failures until we had Randall, who was king of the rat lab at, at UT Arlington. He was trained in, in um, he, he was trained in what we now call discrete trial or ABA techniques. But he'd always he'd always worked with rats, never with people. Would would this technique work with people? But he he basically potty trained Ben in twelve hours, uh, mm-hmm. and he did it 
he did it by uh, by seating him on the potty, giving him juice to drink as much as he could. Uh, when Ben would pee, he'd reward him. Uh, then then he'd move Ben a few feet further away, repeat uh, a few feet further away, out the door, into the next room, and 12, within 12 hours, Ben was going to the bathroom by himself when he needed to go. So discrete trial teaching and LOVAS were very helpful to Ben. And let's get into the, the biomedical realm. When did you find a medical doctor who really helped? That would have been around 1995 when Ben was uh, around eight, eight years old. We, we, finally, we finally took Ben to, to a holistic doctor, Dr. Katsanis in Grapevine, Texas, uh, who was able to explain a lot of the, the mysteries about, about Ben. Uh, he put Ben on a, on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. He took him off antibiotics. Uh, he treated his yeast infection, and Ben's health improved. All right. What did, what did he think had caused Ben's problems in the first place? Well, the, 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 the gut problems, we think, were related to diet and to the candida infection. Because Ben had had so many ear infections and was on and off antibiotics for years, he'd also had an undetected systemic yeast infection. Well, this, this just this makes the gut permeable. Uh, the theory in those days was that partially undigested enzymes leak through the gut and into the brain. The child becomes addicted to, to uh, casein and, and gluten, and um, it's, a, it's a downward spiral. So based on that theory, we removed as much as we could of the, uh, of the wheat and dairy from his diet and treated his yeast infection with nystatin and some other uh, non-prescription drugs. All right, we're going to pick up with these wonderful treatments when we come right back from break. We'll be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. You've read the books, listened to the CDs, and gone to the workshops to learn spirituality. Now there's a way to help you live it every single day. The Spiritual Workout with Stephen Morrison. Call with any issue at all and Stephen will passionately help you see which of 15 universally spiritual concepts apply to your circumstance and how. Practice every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on The Spiritual Workout on 7th Wave Network. It's a practical path to a happier, more peaceful, and richer life experience. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Stan Burns. Please describe for our listeners all of the other wonderful biomedical treatments that you used, like IVIG, and what you saw. The IVIG cleared up Ben's ear infections for about a year. At the same time, we were doing uh, vitamins, uh, the, B, the uh, vitamin C, D, and E, the vitamin A, vitamin B12 more recently. You know, it turns out that the phototherapy was probably vitamin D. It was probably a vitamin D deficiency, and uh, we didn't know it. We thought it was was the light, but it turns That's out... That's what I was wondering a, about. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I wish I'd talked to you uh, 15 years ago, because it's probably uh, the vitamin D deficiency. We we did... Uh, we've bought Bach's book, and we've used his suggestions on uh, N-acetylcysteine, DMAE, phosphatidylcholine, uh, COQ10, uh, digestive enzymes, omega-3 fish oil, folinic acid. We've done the hyperbaric treatment, uh, lots of L-glutamine, uh, digestive enzymes. He's still on B6, takes TMG. So, uh, you know, we've, we've done the gamut. All right. So just to summarize, um, and I hope I get this right, um, he used IVIG. And yeah. that really helped Ben's ear infections. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, was that IVIG or a combination of IVIG and gluten-free, casein-free? was a combination. Okay. Unfortunately, we're, we were not as strict about gluten-free, casein-free as, as recommended, but we did try. Okay. Um, used glutathione, methyl B12, chelation, hyperbaric oxygen, uh, probiotics, because you used antibiotics, antivirals, yes. and antifungals. Yes. And um, you mentioned transdermal secretants. Yes, and Ben did seem to improve on that, although he, he plateaued at, at, after a few months and we, we stopped using it. Did Dr. Katsanis cure Ben's hyperacusis? We thought he had, had cured it. Uh, because it, it vanished for about six months. Now it's coming back, and it seems to be related to a persistent 
gut issues. We haven't got to the bottom of, of the gut issue yet. We suspect there's some kind of viral infection that, that's driving this. Uh, we know Ben tested positive on pandas. So that, that's, that's the next piece of, of, the, of the therapy. You know, uh, they, they say all, all the therapists have an agenda in common. You, you remove the toxins and detoxify chelation. You rebalance the metabolism. That's the supplements that we give him. And then, then next, you, you repair the damaged systems. And we're kind of stuck on that third piece of it. All right. Now, you mentioned therapists, and I think you mean biomedical, but insofar yes. as the home team that you put together, what do you think are the uh, attributes necessary for a really good in-home therapist? Discipline and patience. The in a sense of humor. Uh, the, the, the therapist who, who worked best with Ben knew what they were doing. They took data. They believed in their system. And they persisted in spite of regressions and setbacks. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I would say all of those things, uh, discipline, patience, and uh, a respect for, for data and results. I want to go back to the biomed for a minute. How did the chelation do for Ben? What did you see? Well, we saw we saw incremental improvements. We saw a lot of of metal coming out of Ben. We uh, we saw the mercury, which we expected. What we didn't expect was was the massive amount of lead that came that came out. We knew it came out because we're checking his urine periodically. And Sue remembered that she was tearing down a lead painted barn when she was pregnant with Ben. So it may be that, that that's where it came from. Uh, as, as far as changes in behavior, yeah, you know, all, all of the work that we've done has, has made an improvement in Ben. And uh, the chelation, uh, along with the other stuff, we, he reestablished direct eye contact. Uh, his, his feelings show on his face. He becomes more joyful. The SIBS self-interest behavior was reduced. He stopped biting his finger. His attention span improved. Uh, hyperactivity uh, pretty much reduced. He would sit and attend for the, to the teacher or me for maybe 20 minutes. Uh, could dress himself, feed himself, toilet himself. Ear infections improved. So, so you know, we, we're seeing these incremental improvements across the board. And he's had some Botech training at school. I'm sorry, Terry, I missed that. What kind of training? Vocational. Oh. Yeah, uh, Ben Ben worked part time at CC's Pizza and Walmart and a florist company. So we thought we had built a bridge to the future. But when Grim, when when Ben graduated and the school bus stopped coming, we found that that the bridge fell down. Uh, there's there's a huge gap between the skills that he had which we thought were adequate, and what he actually needs to enter the workforce. So that that's kind of where we are now, and that's probably my next book, is is what what happens when the stool, school bus stops coming. Well, what do you want to tell listeners about the support systems that aren't there, that you think need to be there? Well, once again, it's going to be up up to the parents to provide these because the system is is just running way behind. There's a there's a wave of autistic kids 
coming up through through the schools now. They're going to be aging out at age 22. Uh, so I want to say some things that I wish I had done more of uh, that parents of younger children can do. You know, Ben is 22 now. Uh, household chores and savings. I wish I'd done a lot more of that. Weekend work retreats where you, you're actually cleaning up a, a, a park or a river or uh, a camp and you're working side by side with your child so that you can see him in a work environment and, and, and teach him the skills he needs. Probably summer jobs instead of summer school. Uh, summer school, he gets the academics, but though, he, he's not going to need those. Ben is not going to need those. Uh, he's going to need work habits, uh, internships, and sheltered workshops. Uh, yeah. A network of network of supportive adult relationships, and then. Mm-hmm. Teaching Ben to advocate for himself. You know, in the school environment, all the relationships are structured. You get out there in the workplace; it's every person for himself. And Ben doesn't know how to fend in those environments. I'm having to go back and teach him things I thought that he had learned as a high school graduate. Yeah, good point. I think there's more. You know, the person may know how many rings there are around Saturn, but they also need to know how to make a bed. That's right. Yeah. Well, what's your take-home message for parents, Dan? There's hope for your child. Don't give up. We're pioneers. We're 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 making a trail for those who will follow. And so it's not just us and our kids. It's it's generations in the future. Uh, so we we owe it. We owe it to our society and to our children and to ourselves and to our, our grandchildren uh, to keep the faith and keep working and don't give up. Well, thank goodness you didn't give up. And I want to thank you for sharing this inspirational story of not giving up on your child today with our listeners. It's been a pleasure. And I want to thank you for, for the work that you're doing with Autism One. You know, the energy for for change is coming from the parents, and your organization is one that's among the ones that are that are still open to parental input. I, I expect great things from from you and from us in the future. Well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say, and we're glad to help. To our listeners, registration for the Autism One Generation Rescue Conference opens soon. Please visit www.autismone.org. My guest next week is Dr. Jeffrey Becker with How Vision Therapy Can Help Children with Autism. Thank you to this program sponsor, Enzymedica. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autismone.org. We wish everyone a safe, healthy, and joyful holiday season and new year. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Oranga.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.